welcome hi welcome to crime culture where we talk about crime and culture yep today it's more of the culture side because i'm going to be talking about the movie book and miniseries stephen king's it Mm. (laughs) i know you don't like it i don't do clowns well i don't i no well then I'll get into it because I'm going to be talking about the, oh. the clown differences. Everybody later else on. hear that? Oh, you don't like clowns? Oh, well, okay, then I'll just get into it. Well, yeah. I'll just start right now. Well, the I, I can't. I'm not going to spoil it. But there's differences between. Obviously, there's differences between the two performances. If you've seen either of them, yeah. But I'll get I, into I it. I did see. I did see the first one, the the one with Tim Curry. The because miniseries. That, that's what. That's what fostered my fear of clowns because That's i was way a lot too of people's young to fear of clowns I, but i saw it way too young like yes, i saw we, it at like discussed. four yes like um don't show your four-year-old it like just don't do it no it's probably not a good idea although it doesn't really hold up it's Storm good grates and shower drains will forever be terrifying i still i still respect the miniseries it is very good but it Tim doesn't Curry hold up. is a master of horror. He is. He's fantastic. I love him to death. Yes. But anyway, um, we'll get into it in a second. Yes. So the main, the most immediate difference between the novel series and movie is that the novel takes place um, between 19, sorry, 1957 and 1958. And then uh the adult portion is between 1984 and 1985. So um, the book is, I want to say, like 1,100 pages long, something like that. Okay. It's really, really long. So it's pretty much two stories told at once. It's the Losers Club as they are children, and then 27 years later when it comes back, spoiler alert, and uh, they have to defeat him again. So it's the same in the miniseries. But in the movie, um, they were kind of banking on the 80s nostalgia triggered by Stranger Things, which also helps that Finn Wolfhard of Stranger Things is in the movie. And it shows that the young Losers Club grows up in the 80s and they make new kids on the block jokes and yep. there's nods to Batman and Street Fighter. And um, at the very end of the movie, it flashes uh, the the graphic that says it and then above it comes chapter one so obviously they must have known at the end of the movie that they were kind of greenlit for the the second part yeah so obviously chapter two is going to take place 27 years later which would be 2016 like present day okay. and um that would make sense yeah because so, bill haters in it so oh i'm gonna talk about the casting love but I, i'm in love love him <laughs> Um, so the book version of it begins with the disappearance of Georgie in 1957 and in 1984, the 27 years later, um, the disappearance of Adrian Mellon. And after Adrian's disappearance, Mike, who still lives in Derry, calls the rest of the Losers Club and asks them to come back to fight it as they promised at, um, the end of their, the the last time we see them as children. And the blood pact happens to, uh happens at the end of the movie in the 2017 movie but obviously we don't see them as adults because that's going to be the second one um uh, but the miniseries 
is so similar to the book that it, it kind of tells it in flashbacks. So like keeps going back and forth and back and forth. Um, I personally prefer the linear storytelling of the movie because mm-hmm. it's, it's very, a lot of back and forth. It's a lot of back and forth. And especially like when you're reading the book, it's just like Stephen King's already like long winded and confusing. Yep. But it just gets like a lot <laughs> when you're trying to read it. it I yeah. like I personally liked it better being told like straight through one timeline and then having part two be 27 years later rather than have it go back and forth. Um, but one of the most iconic aspects of it as Pennywise, it was the ability to transform into the child's specific fear. And with the kids in the novel growing up during the heyday of be monster madness pennywise takes on the shape of some of the most iconic monsters of the time which includes the mummy the wolfman and the creature from the black lagoon so it would have been fun to see pennywise take on some 80s monster icons um because it was the film was released by new line cinema and it does show at one point um the marquee for a movie theater where a nightmare on elm street 5 was playing um only the leper that Eddie sees in the book makes it into the movie. Although I think okay. I saw, I because I watched the movie last night. Right. I think I saw at one point at the end during like the final battle while they're in the sewers that the character Ben sees Pennywise as the mummy, which he sees in the book. Okay. Um, but it was only for like a quick second. So Bill, of course, is haunted by Georgie, but... In the movie, Mike doesn't see the giant bird, and Stan doesn't see the drowned children, and um, there's no werewolf that Richie saw, and the film shows the iconic Paul Bunyan statue, but in the like in the novel, it doesn't come to life, and it does update um, the bloody sink scene uh, that Beverly sees, which, mm-hmm. uh, looking back and forth at both of them, I much prefer the version that was in the movie. And I think the version that was in the movie was much closer to the version that was described in the novel. Okay. Because um, the one in the miniseries, it was kind of like too jokey, but also like I'll get into it in a little bit. Like obviously it was on TV and it was meant to be viewed by a wider range of audiences. So they really couldn't get like high enough rating like they did in the movie where blood just like rockets out of the sink yeah yeah (laughs) so uh, very realistic yes i i do understand why the miniseries did some of the things that they did but there are a lot of things that the movie pulls like it at some points it looks like they took the script i mean they they took the writing in the novel as the script and they just put it into the movie which I appreciate because I like things that are a lot closer to the original source material. Right. And I think that the, what's the word that I'm looking for? The effects that we have today and the effects that they had in like the eighties and nineties when that film, when that miniseries came out, I I mean, I think that probably affected how things looked too. Yeah. A hundred percent. There's the scene at the end where they're fighting at the adults um, are fighting it as the giant spider which 
I'll get into. Yeah. Um, but it is another thing I love. It is spiders. Comically horrible. It is so bad. It doesn't hold up. It's sad. No, but. not at all. I don't even think it was passable then. I really don't. It was bad. I mean, it was a TV thing, too, so there probably wasn't as much of a budget. There probably wasn't as yeah, much. Yeah, but then... TV today is huge. No, but, yeah, you look at, like, Walking Dead and stuff, like, it, whether, h- however you feel about that show now, because some people say it's gone on too long, but whatever, uh, you can't say that the effects aren't really, really good. Right. Uh, the studio that does it is um, Greg Nicotero, who is, like, iconic in monster makeup and everything like that like the fact that they have a budget to do that now compared to the miniseries that literally had like a spider that looked like it was like cut out from construction paper it's pretty crazy yeah that's yeah okay. <laughs> uh so another big difference between the uh the novel and the movie is that the novel is loosely narrated by Mike Hanlon, who serves as um, Derry's librarian when he gets older. And he's also responsible for bringing the Losers Club back to Derry during the final showdown. And Mike has spent much of his adult life gathering information about the town's dark history, which all seem to be tied to the appearance of a clown um, who is either seen before a huge tragedy, such as the Easter Sunday Kitchener Ironworks explosion in 1906 that killed 88 children. Um, or he appears as an act of bloodlust by the town people where he eggs on citizens and participates in murder. Mm-hmm. So the, in the film, the role of the historian is shifted to Ben, who is portrayed as like the new kid in town who um, doesn't have a lot of friends. So he spends his time at the library researching this very weird neighborhood that that he has moved to. Right. Um, it's it's kind of got like a sandlot feel. Yeah, and I'll get into it a little bit more, but as I was rewatching the movie, there are some scenes that are like straight up stand by me vibes. Like yeah. almost identical to some things yeah. that happened Which, for in those Stand who by don't Me. No, Stand by Me is another Stephen King work that was turned into a movie. Yeah, that it was an adaptation of um a novella a he wrote yes. called The uh, The Body. Yes. Which was really good. Really good. <laughs> um, so while he shares a special connection with his father in the novel, uh, Mike has lost both of his parents in a fire in the movie. Um, and he now lives on a farm with his grandfather. So that's another big departure that Mike doesn't have parents in, in the movie. And the trusty slingshot and the silver slugs that the characters use in the novel to take down Pennywise's kids is also upgraded to a captive bolt gun that Mike's family uses to humanely slaughter animals on their farm. But, Um, well, it it kind of just made more sense because I don't know of a lot of kids in the 80s playing with slingshots, but that was was a big thing in uh, the 50s and stuff to play with stuff like that. So it, it was... It just made sense to kind of update that a little bit uh, when you're trying to change the time period. Um, So another thing that kind of shifted was um, the villain Henry Bowers and his goons who um, haunt the streets of Derry and just terrorize every single one of the kids. Um, So he still has it out for Ben 
which allows Ben to meet Billy and Eddie. And although they aren't building the dam like they are in the novel, right. um, the, the film is over two hours long, so it doesn't quite capture the consistent threat that Henry is for the Losers Club. Um, so he pops up every now and again, and there's a scene in the movie and in the book where um, they have a rock fight. And I did write in my notes that <laughs> the one weird CG thing I noticed in the movie was when they were doing the rock fight, it looked like they were on like a like a really weird green screen for some reason. Mm-hmm. And it also portrayed the Losers Club as being like practically ninjas <laughs> because they were just dodging. Like they weren't that far apart. They were like a river's width apart. And it's like, like you could walk through it. Like it's not huge. And so they were like that far away from, from the uh, Henry Bowers's crew, and they're like chucking rocks at each other, and the Losers Club di- like dodges every single one, <laughs> and seems to be getting really good consistent hits on uh, the bad guys, and it's just that was the one moment that I was like, okay, calm the fuck down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so despite the resu- reduced presence that Henry's character has, um, it's still fairly close to how he's portrayed in the book. And his father has been upgraded to an abusive policeman rather than the farmer that he is in the novel. Um, he still gets his revenge courtesy of a gift wrapped knife from Pennywise. And one major exception is, um, that will hopefully be addressed in the sequel is that Henry seems to meet his end during the film's final showdown with Pennywise. Um, He also doesn't see Victor or Belch get murdered by Pennywise and doesn't take the fall for the child murders like he does in the novel. And Patrick Hockstetter also appears in the film, but he meets his end early on in the sewers without any hint of his terrifying serial killer behavior that was described in the book, which is, crazy scenes like people talk about the the crazy sewer orgy scene that was in the book which mm-hmm. yeah was super disturbing obviously but there's also a scene in the book where patrick hockstetter um who is one of henry bowers's goons is in this junkyard and he's torturing animals i think oh uh, like, we all know what that's yeah. a sign of yeah, it's bad. Well, this kid is definitely 100% serial killer. Yeah. So he's, like, torturing animals or what and in this fridge in the junkyard. Uh. And then, like, he tries to molest Henry Bowers at some point, oh. which is weird. That's, and a then, little, that's a little bit of a no. That's a no-no. Yeah. That's some Dahmer shit. Yeah, it was real sketchy. And then, um, what's his... Uh, so he opens up the fridge where he keeps, like, his animals and uh, flying leeches come out and kill him so that's how he dies in the book honestly good if you're gonna hurt cool fluffy animals that's good it was just a wild scene that i feel like doesn't get enough talk about it because of the crazy sewer orgy scene i was gonna say too many people are talking about the sex scenes yeah but like that's still a crazy one he tries to molest his friend and then his friend is like i'm gonna tell everyone you torture animals here and uh (laughs) then he tries to kill him so he doesn't get away and then he gets eaten by flying leeches because, you know, that's a thing I mean, that, that exists. So, obviously, I just mentioned it. Um, the m- more outrageous scene in the novel is um, when the kids are think they have beat Pennywise and they're in the sewers and they're freaking out. They can't find their way out. And they think that the only one, the only way to um, 
bond themselves, like keep themselves together, is for Beverly to have sex with each one of the children in the Losers Club. Remember, these people are 12. Yeah. And Stephen mm. King wrote this in a drug-induced stupor. Okay, I didn't know that, and that makes me feel better. <laughs> yeah, I think he said, like, it was, like, it, um, maybe Christine. Uh, there was, like, a couple of other ones that he Cujo. was, like... I don't remember if it was Cujo, a pet cemetery, may- maybe. Yeah, but he was that just would make sense. Pet cemetery would out make his a mind. lot of sense. Yeah. So, there, yeah, some of the more outrageous scenes happened in some of these books that he was just like, "Whoa, all right." Um. So yeah. So they. Well, but that's better that he wasn't in his right mind than him being yeah. of sound mind and still <laughs> yeah, being right? like, "Let's talk about a twelve-year-old orgy." Yeah, but then there's a quote from him that he says, quote, I wasn't really thinking of the sexual aspect of it, um, end quote. And he explained that on the message board on StephenKing.com. So he said, quote, intuitively, the losers knew that they had to come together again. The sexual act connected childhood and adulthood. Okay. Like, if you explain it, fine. Uh, but I'm still, I'm it still was not still, completely sold. It was still a sex scene, but a bunch of 12 year olds yeah it's still it's still like and it goes on for like a while uh, <laughs> like i read the book and i'm like really this is uh, this is all right yeah so obviously there's uh that scene does not appear in the miniseries or in uh the movie and um the director of the movie andy Masaletti, I think is how you say his name. He explained that it wasn't necessary, and he said, quote, in the end, the replacement uh, was the blood oath where everyone says goodbye, and it's the last time that they're seen as a group together. Mm-hmm. So that's all you really needed. Yeah. And um, so speaking of the character Beverly, there's a lot that the film gets right with her, but there's also a lot that it kind of messes up. Okay. So the film kind of turns her in a little bit into like a damsel in distress. Um, so Pennywise kidnaps her and um, that's how he lures the Losers Club into his lair. And um, Bev sees the deadlights and floats in a catatonic state until she gets kissed by Ben and that wakes her up. So there very was, Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, very Sleeping Beauty. Actually, they're um, at one point in the movie... Um, when Bev is walking into her bedroom, it lingers on like a little playbill of the princess and the frog, which is kind mm-hmm. of an allude, like foreshadowing that right. a kiss is going to wake her up. So, eh. Um, <laughs> so, I did like, eh. I loved uh, Sophia Lillis, I think is the, the actress that played Bev. Gorgeous, beautiful, brilliant. Like her performance was fantastic she's a gorgeous girl she's going to uh, be in every single movie she is so good and young and how is she that good and that young i don't understand it but she was amazing so i have nothing bad to say about the actress there was just some problems uh translating um the stronger kind of character that she was in the novel although when they talk about her when she's older and she's in like an abusive relationship i'm like really stephen king yeah. Um, but so Bev's uncomfortable relationship with her father is very present in the film, although it's more creepy and inappropriate and incestuous 
overtones mm-hmm. and they kind of skip over sort of the abusive relationship that is described in the book right um so she deals with slut shaming at school uh which adds an interesting layer to her character and obviously there's the love triangle between ben and bill and bev and that's the same in the the novel and in the movie and it's going to be interesting i think in the sequel to see how this kind of plays out uh especially with the casting that they currently have i think it's going to be very interesting mm-hmm. um what else did i have okay so <laughs> this is where shit kind of gets weird if you haven't read the book because the true form of it is the deadlights and because it's really really hard to explain in um they kind of make it seem like his final form like pennywise's final form is the giant spider so we already said the giant spider in the miniseries was terrible right. <laughs> like real bad <laughs> so there is no scene with the spider in the movie they kind of make it seem like pennywise is its true form and um there's one point where pennywise steals bev and then she's like i'm not afraid of you so that's fine and he's like well yeah you're gonna be afraid of me and then he opens his mouth up like like Mm -hmm. all the way like up to his eyes very much like um fuck like something i wouldn't enjoy oh that was another one that scared me as a child yeah so he like opens his mouth up and then you can see three lights down his throat so you could say that they showed the deadlights in in the um the movie but also not really so richie and mike discover in the novel that it came to Derry millions of years ago and in the miniseries they make kind of vague allusions to um its beginnings but it never really dives deep into like the nitty-gritty and it mainly um uses pennywise as a villain really with no kind of origin story And in the movie, they never really explain where it came from either. And it returns every 27 years just to wreak havoc on Derry and its residents. And um, it's going to be interesting to see in the sequel if the filmmakers want to try to tackle that subject. Because like I said, they did kind of make like allusions to the deadlights and everything to see if... Uh, they'll actually talk about it. It's a lot to get into, especially mm-hmm. for like a shorter movie if you're trying to like tell it effectively. Right. Um, it, honestly, it's kind of unnecessary because yeah. it's a lot. It's a lot of like sci-fi stuff too. Like its main enemy is the turtle whose name is Marturin. I think I'm saying it right. I've only ever seen it spelled. Um, and he created the universe by vomiting it up after having a stomach ache, and he informs young Bill on how to defeat Pennywise via the ritual of Chud, in which his consciousness transcends his body, and he is a psychic showdown with it in the macroverse, which is where it and Marturin originate, and that's how he can defeat it for good. So that's a lot. Yeah. That's That's a lot to explain. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so the turtle is actually never mentioned in the movie, but they do kind of, uh, reference it like a little bit. There's a scene where, uh, Bill goes into Georgie's room and picks up a Lego turtle. And then there's a mention when they're swimming in the quarry 
that um like a turtle touched someone's foot while they were swimming like that's kind of like little vague mentions they they did towards it but i don't know if they just did that for fans to be like oh look an easter egg or they'll actually like plan to explain it later on so we don't know so uh, through the ritual that I said, the psychic power of the Losers Club helps to defeat Pennywise. Um, and in the novel, their horror movie research has them believing that Beverly's slingshot skills will kill the clown, courtesy of the silver dollar that they have melted down into like a little bullet uh, if they shoot it at his head. So in the movie, the big showdown results kind of as the byproduct of physical strength and their just their general willingness to stand up to Pennywise. And um, though similar to the slingshot, Bill uses the captive bolt pistol to weaken Pennywise by shooting the manifestation of Georgie in the head. And okay, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot trying to yeah, explain all three of them. It it helps if you've read the book at least. Yeah, uh, but uh, honestly, the book is not really scary. Um, obviously, because it's a book and you're not actually seeing the images, but you can create something in your head. That's a lot scarier. I didn't find yes. it that terrifying. Unless the, I, I did think it was a very good book. I would find it more terrifying because you can like it. Think your of imagination is always more terrifying. And like in some, in some cases more wonderful, but in a lot of cases more terrifying than what you yeah. can see in a movie. Yeah, I guess. Like, there's know. no limit on your imagination. <laughs> I'm also, like, like I'm the kind of person that wants every single thing in the book to be in the movie. But this is one that, like, the book is so long. And it's, like, kind of, like, there are parts where it's, like, kind of drawn out. Like, the parts where Mike is narrating and he's talking about the previous times that it came to Derry. Mm-hmm. Like, with the fire at the black spot and um the ironworks explosion and like other stuff it's good at like setting up this villain but it also just lasts forever right (laughs) and i like i kind of like how they handled it in the um in the movie that they talk about it but it's kind of like in exposition like they don't need to show you the scenes where all this stuff happens they just can talk about it and it's fine you get it Mm -hmm. you get what's going on uh, but one of the things that was um, a major change is that the role of Stanley Uris um, has been drastically reduced in the film version. And um, it's sad, but he kind of feels like more of a background member um, mm-hmm. because he plays such a big role in the um, the adult version of the Losers Club. And... Um, he's supposed to be the one that smashes the the glass bottle and swears the blood oath the blood oath to return to Derry but in the movie it's Bill that does that and in the miniseries it's actually kind of interesting that they didn't have the they didn't have the sewer orgy scene and they didn't have the blood oath scene because the miniseries came out in the 90s and the AIDS crisis was still going on so mm-hmm. It's probably an idea from the uh, producers, and they thought it was best not to show kids swapping blood so flippantly. So they kind of just, their pact was like, they put their arms around each other, and they like made a pact to each other. Obviously, not as impactful as the blood oath, but what are you going to do? 
Yeah. Could be worse. Like, that's... It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Um, so a lot of the bonding that happens between the kids, which is um, kind of the most important part of the novel... Mm-hmm. Um, when they're younger happens in the Barrens and it's in these scenes that it's foreshadowed that Ben is going to be an architect because he builds the dam in the Barrens and mm-hmm. um, it kind of gets it like kind of builds them all together in the movie they don't really have time for a lot of scenes in the Barrens they kind of show like little bits of it um, but they show most of their bonding just in the town itself, which is kind of sad because the Barons plays like a huge role in the novel. Right. Uh, but they don't, obviously when you're making a movie, you don't want everything to be in one spot. Yeah, that's true. Um, another big change was um, how foul mouthed the kids are. And obviously Stephen King, he's going to write a bunch of 12 year olds having sex. So obviously he's going to use yeah. foul language for these children. So the R rating allowed the young actors the ability to use the same language as the novel, and it does make their interaction seem a little bit more believable and less censored, because that's kind of how, unfortunately, that's kind of how kids talk when they're all together. Yeah. But uh, the miniseries obviously couldn't do that because it's a TV show. So it yeah. did kind of make the characters seem a little bit more reserved, which yeah. it was a little weird. I mean, um, and and also, I can imagine it would make it a little bit more, I don't want to say, like, uncomfortable for the viewer, like, seeing that these kids are so young. But it just, is kind of jarring, especially to see, like, yeah. little Stranger Things Finn Wolfhard. Yeah. He has lots of the cursing in the movie. Yes. So it's a little jarring, but it's also like, yeah, that's, that's kind of how kids are. Yeah. No, but, it's true. Yeah. Um, so obviously in the movie, there's lots of, uh, jump scares and the part, the thing where they do that, it's silent. And then there's the jump scare and it's really loud, which I mm-hmm. fucking hate. Yeah. Um, no, I'm not about any of that. I'm not about yeah. any kind of scares. Just, it was annoying. It was stupid, uh-huh. but that was, um, yeah, that, that's how they kind of handled Pennywise's attacks in the movie. In the TV show, um, they kind of left a lot to imagination. They didn't really show a lot of blood and gore and stuff. They, it was lots of scenes of Tim Curry with the teeth. That was a lot of Pennywise's attacks in, in the, the miniseries. But obviously, like that could have something to do with TV censoring and all that. Right. But like I said in the novel, there's lengthy, sometimes laborious descriptions of Pennywise's attacks. So I think the uh, compromise of the stupid jump scares in the movie are fine. I don't need the long descriptions. No. Um, So like I had said before, the main focus of the book is the intense and powerful friendship between the kids, which obviously has 1,100 pages to foster this relationship. Um, Yes. Yeah, it's a lot. (laughs) It's, uh, it's it's not something you can bang out in a day, usually. No, no. And not, certainly not in, like, a two-hour movie. But right. I think in the miniseries, obviously, I think the miniseries ended up being, like, three, almost four hours, I think it was. It's long, because it was in a couple parts. Um, but I think it showed a better portrayal of the bond between the kids. And it showed um, the damn scene, the scene in the movie theater, um the slingshot practice 
And it kind of made their friendship grow organically throughout the series instead of feeling rushed. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, in the movie, they can only focus on so much. So it did seem like Mike and Stan as characters kind of fell into the background. Like, there were points where, um, like the point where there's the rock fight, which kind of bonds Mike into their group happens like almost two thirds into the movie. So it happens like later. So it's hard to believe that he is this close with them when it seems like they've almost just become friends. Right. So that was like a problem. But also you can make the argument that they're kids. They trust more. They trust faster. They bond faster. That sort of thing. So two main things that I wanted to talk about, obviously, are Tim Curry versus Bill Skarsgård. And then I wanted to talk about the um, iconic Georgie scene, which is the beginning of the the novel, the book. Yeah. So uh, there are very few actors that can compare to Tim Curry and how amazing he is. And his Pennywise is humorous and scary. And one article said, quote, you weren't quite sure if he was going to crack a joke or crack your skull. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he was better at kind of luring the children in, while Bill Skarsgård's Pennywise was terrifying throughout, from like start to finish, even when he was trying to appear friendly to Georgie in the beginning, and his Pennywise is a lot more manic and much more crazed than Tim Curry's version, um, and it's not a subtle performance at all. Like, right. he's really playing, it, he's hamming it up. Yeah. Um, it is effective in a shorter time frame, I guess. And um, the other creatures that it morphs into, obviously, terrifying. Um, the leper, the woman from the painting, very scary. Um, but upon further viewings of the miniseries, Tim Curry's Pennywise almost seems a little too human uh, to be okay. the interdimensional manifestation of evil that he's described as in the book. It's mainly in the way he talks and walks and it's just it looks too human mm-hmm. and compared to bill skarsgård who there's like a scene where he's like contorting out of a cabinet and every single time he moves it's in a very unnatural way and that i think is more effective at showing him as the villain than tim curry's pennywise um but Um, the point of taking on the image of the clown is to lure the children in and a simple side-by-side comparison between the two clearly shows that a child would not go within a mile of Skarsgård's Pennywise. I wouldn't go within a mile of either Pennywise. Yeah. So obviously um, I think uh, I'm not, I can't say a bad word about Tim Curry's performance or anything like that. Like he literally is a horror icon and, and I, he will continue to be. I also think that with the portrayal of him as more human and less monster, like you were mentioning before, mm-hmm. I think that that also, like, I think it can go either way in that he'd have to seem at least a little more human for these kids to be willing to go with him. That's true. Yeah. Like, I but, mean, there's got to be, like, a little bit of something, because, I mean, if he is, like, more monstrous, then it may be harder to understand or believe. That's very true. Like, 
the last thing I had mentioned here was it's just kind of hard to compare the two at all because it seems like they're right. two completely different characters. Um, I do appreciate Bill Skarsgård for not taking Tim Curry's performance and literally copying it. Um, yeah. Because the movie does have a much darker tone than the miniseries and his performance works for the movie. Uh, yeah. I don't think you could just copy and paste Tim Curry into this movie. I don't think it would be as effective. No, but I think um, a lot of, like you had said, with the sequels especially, I think a lot of them do run that risk of it just being a carbon copy of some iconic yeah, portrayal. Yeah, like, this worked, may as well do the same exact thing. Yeah. But uh, regardless of how good Bill Skarsgård was in this movie, like I said, he'll never be the horror icon that Tim Curry ended up being. True. But it does work for the movie. Um, Yeah, so the Georgie scene... It's um, probably one of the most iconic scenes um, in the entire movie. And anyone who knows the novel miniseries, anything, knows of this scene. And it's probably one of the most consistent moments between all three versions of the story. Mm -hmm. um, the miniseries cuts before anything intense happens. But um, the tone of Tim Curry's performance beautifully sets up this moment. And you can actually believe that a kid would stop and talk to him. Because... Right. This kid is following this boat down the street and it goes into the storm drain and then all of a sudden the clown pops up. Like, yeah, yeah. he's a, a child, but also like, how are you going to gain this child's trust to actually reach into the storm drain to try to get his boat back? Exactly. <clears throat> yeah. So meanwhile, um, in the movie, Skarsgård's Pennywise does uh, nothing to help the situation. He's... <laughs> literally drooling while he's talking to georgie it's, and it, yeah it just builds suspense from the moment that you see his eyes in the storm drain and i would say that the movie scene um is closest in uh the novel and um it, it, at some points it's almost word for word like i said like they took the writing from the novel and just put it into the script mm -hmm. um i really liked the scene in the movie because they didn't cut away. They kind of kept everything in. And you think that they're going to cut away. And they totally don't. Right. Um, yeah. I like I like Pennywise in this scene in the miniseries much more. Because he just seems much more convincing. Um, and his turn at the end is a lot scarier. Because when Bill Skarsgård pops up. And he's like drooling. And like literally trying to... Uh, not psych himself out to like yeah. get this kid to him it's like it's like a pedophile or yeah just something like a rabid dog or something meanwhile no Tim i Curry's think pedophile is a really good way to compare it though yeah it's it's terrifying yes but um tim curry's pennywise literally is like hey georgie like is this your boat do you want it back and then obviously the iconic scene where he uh the teeth appear that's the first time you see it yeah but his it like in the miniseries they can't show a lot so they show like the teeth and then it like kind of fades out and then it's at georgie's funeral so they don't really show a lot right <coughs> they kind of expect you to have read the book and kind of leave it to your imagination yeah. but one big turn that the movie took 
uh, away from the novel and the miniseries is that in that scene, um, Georgie is dragged into the sewer. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of leads Bill later on in the movie to believe that Georgie may still be alive. Meanwhile, in the miniseries and the novel, it's confirmed Georgie's dead because right. they find him dead. Yes. So it is a little bit of a change, but a welcome one, I think. I think it was fine. It didn't really change much of the movie itself. Right. Um, some little Easter eggs that I saw. And uh, I'll link a um, a video that kind of mentions some of these Easter eggs. But um, in one scene, Bill is wearing a Tracker Brothers Trucking Company shirt in the scene in the tunnels, and okay. that is that's a reference to a um, trucking company that was mentioned in the in the novel as like a main point. So they obviously didn't get to talking about that kind of storyline but it's cool to see them at least referencing it yeah and there's at one point eddie is wearing a shirt with a car that has like teeth on it and like scary eyes and that's obviously a nod to stephen king's christine Mm -hmm. and there's um a t-shirt that richie is wearing uh that says like freezes department store something like that and that's an actual that's a nod to an actual store in the real town in Maine that Stephen King used as inspiration to write Derry. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was like kind of a deep cut. Yeah. <laughs> but I still, I still think it's pretty cool. Um, in the scene where Richie is in the clown room in the Niebolt house, one of the clowns to the left of the uh, coffin that he's looking at is um the Tim Curry's Pennywise from the miniseries, like the hair, the outfit, the face, it's like a mannequin of his version of Pennywise. Right. Um, so this was actually a cool fact. The movie is actually released 27 years after the miniseries. I saw that. that. Yeah. So that's Pennywise's true return. Uh, same as the novel. Right. Um, Another cute, Which, uh, oh, cool little thing, right? Isn't that so that's, cool? That's such like amazing planning on their part. Like honestly, right? it's like who in the marketing department noticed that and was like, "We got to release it on this day," right? Like that's just brilliant. Yeah. Um, one other cool thing: Beverly has a ring with an anchor on it, uh, signifying without the orgy scene that she is kind of the anchor of the group. Mm-hmm. Um. And she kind of has to like pull everybody together. And there's a scene at the very beginning. In a non-sexual way, preferably. In a non-sexual way. In the very beginning, when all the kids are getting out of school for summer, Ben is carrying a model of the standpipe and he drops it and the top pops off, which could be a foreshadowing of the standpipe explosion that floods Derry in the second half of the novel, which we will have to see if they actually do that in the movie. Um, a couple other small things that I didn't write in the doc, but I did write in notes as I was watching the movie is that, um, one of the main points of the childhood version of the story is that Bill has a really bad stutter Yeah, and Bill's stutter is almost non-existent in the movie. Okay. Like, it's it's not enough that you're, like, because there's one point where he's making a speech, and Richie says, wow, he didn't stutter once. But it's not as effective, because 
he doesn't stutter a lot throughout the yeah. movie. So I didn't really notice it. Yeah. Um, another thing I noticed is that when the very beginning, Bill sends Georgie down into the basement to get the wax to seal the boat. And Georgie walks down the stairs and he sees the deadlights when he's uh, getting the wax. So kind of foreshadowing that Pennywise is going to get him. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the first time that Mike sees Pennywise at the like meat warehouse that his grandfather works at, um, he sees Pennywise's eyes and they look like the deadlights. Um... What else did I write? I don't know. Oh what yeah, I just write? wrote. I just wrote notes about Patrick Hawksetter and the weird animal torture scenes that they don't show. Yeah, like oh, yeah, that's a lot. Red flag. <laughs> um, yeah, I think he's his character is probably the scariest thing in the entire book. That one kid. Yeah, because he's fucking horrifying. Yeah, I can agree. Yeah, uh, because that's a, more like at least with Pennywise, you know he's fake. Yeah. Like, that type of shit, those type of kids do exist. Yeah, it's like a re- it's like a real kid. Yeah. Uh there's one part where um after Ben gets attacked by Henry Bowers and his whole group of goons and they're trying to like patch him up and they're outside the warehouse that Mike Hanlon's family owns. Um, mm-hmm. there's like a mural on the wall and at one point right before the scene cuts, uh, you can see Pennywise's face in the mural. Um, throughout the entire movie, all the adults are watching the same TV show, which is pretty much yeah. brainwashing them, uh, to tell the kids that they should all go into the sewers and kill each other. You know <laughs> I should do? Yeah. Uh, like I had already said, there's serious stand-by-me vibes, uh, especially in the scene where they're swimming in the quarry, and uh, there's one other scene where they're, like, coming over a hill, and there's, like, a train in the background, obviously alluding to the, the train scene in stand-by-me. Right. Um, yeah, I just said that the exposition of the the past Pennywise attacks is a lot more effective than having to show them oh yeah there's right. no um kneebolt street house in the miniseries that at least i can remember but the kneebolt street house is really really important because as the kids are learning that pennywise is in the sewers they find out that the kneebolt house used to be the old well house so all of the sewers connect underneath that house so that's kind of like pennywise's lair for a loose term um when he's not in the um sewers underground but another thing that i thought was kind of weird uh Mm -hmm. when you're watching the movie is that like you first see the kneebolt house when eddie is walking down the street i think he's walking home from the barons or whatever and like there's nice house nice house nice house and then all of a sudden you get to this house that literally looks like the original haunted house yeah (laughs) like boards are coming off of it everything is dead there's like rust over uh the gate and everything there's like a dead tree in front of it it looks like it was burned and it's like next to all these nice houses and i'm like really they would keep this fucking house like that i don't know i thought it was kind of unreasonable definitely (laughs) 
Uh, also, there's a scene when they're in the Kneebolt house and they're fighting Pennywise that Eddie breaks his arm. Uh, his broken arm is laughably fake. It looks two times longer than than anybody's arm. And I was it's like, like the me- Harry Potter arm. Yes, yes. When his <laughs> arm turns to jelly, I'm like, this is how many millions of dollars did they spend on this movie. And they couldn't give this kid a better fake arm, really. Um. Yeah, I just said the rock scene made them look like ninjas. Um. Oh yeah, so um, when they go back into the Kneebolt Street house to fight Pennywise for the last time, they're going to go into the um, the well in the basement of the house. Um, everyone's going in, and Stan doesn't want to go into the Kneebolt house, and I think that's kind of foreshadowing for what happens when he's adult. Um, mm-hmm. uh, what else? Oh yeah, so there's a part where... Bev is like this isn't uh, a secret by any means obviously if you watch the movie once you're like oh yeah that that's uh, an allusion to that but there's a scene where Bev is uh, knocked out and she's in the tunnels and uh, blood is dripping on her face right and that scene directly relates to a scene that happened earlier where Bill was drawing a picture of Bev in like the same profile picture and water was dripping onto the page, making it look like she was bleeding. So that's okay. uh, a little allusion to that. Uh, at one point, when they're fighting Pennywise at the end, he kind of has what look like spider arms come out. So maybe that was a little uh, nod yeah. to the novel and the miniseries being like, yeah, we're not going to have him turn into a giant spider. But look, it looks like spider arms. Unless they have him turn into a spider in the sequel. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. But that just, was just like a little thing. And then I'm the last thing was in. that um, at the very it. last scene where they do the blood oath, they all cut their hands and they all hold hands and they make the oath that they're going to come back to Derry uh, if it returns. And the first person to leave the group is Stan. And for anyone that has not read the book when Mike Hanlon makes the call to get everyone to come back to Derry, Stan finds out that they have to come back, can't face it, and he kills himself. So he never comes back to Derry. So he was the first person to leave the group after the blood oath, showing that he's also not coming back. Uh, And that was it. Well then. Yeah. That's a lot of information. That's a lot of it. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of it. But, um, yeah, if you haven't read the book, it is uh, a commitment, but mm-hmm. it, it there's a huge payoff. It's a very, very good book. Right. I would recommend seeing the miniseries or movie first, which I don't usually recommend, but okay. um, it will help when you're reading to kind of understand um, the nonlinear storytelling. So you'll kind of understand a little bit more of what Stephen King is trying to get at. Because okay. like a lot of his books, he kind of just tells information at you and you're like, oh, okay, I guess this is a thing now. Right. He doesn't really try to explain anything um, simply. He goes into long-winded explanations and you're like, wait, how did we get here? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but You know, how, the novel's how Stephen great. King is. Yeah. The novel's great. The movie's great. Uh, 
the miniseries is great. Go watch both of them and read the book. All right. So now yeah. we have our homework. So now we have our homework. And uh, to add to that homework list, you can donate to the Patreon. Yes, you can. Yeah. Donate to that and go to the website, crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com, and look at all the links and research and information and extra videos and all that stuff. All that jazz. And our social media is on there, too. Yes, the sosh. The sosh. <laughs> so I hope you enjoyed that. If you haven't seen or read it, maybe I hope it has inspired you to do so. Yeah, please. And there's a couple of other um, like book movie comparisons that I want to do. <clears throat> they put Gerald's Game on Netflix, which mm-hmm. ended up being a pretty good movie. And that's also a Stephen King novel. It is. So... Um, I'll probably be talking about that later on. Um, yeah, I won't give too many spoilers of what I'm going to be talking about, but... Kindly tag your spoilers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't think I said it at the beginning, but spoiler alert if you haven't uh, <laughs> Yeah, say it. it after. Say it after <laughs> you've given all of the spoilers, please. Fuck. The movie has been out for, like, two years. The novel has, has been out... It's been out... Uh, when did it come out? 20... I thought it 2016, came out. 2016, I thought it came out in 2018. Maybe I'm wrong. No, I think it was tw- at least 2017. Hang on. I just looked. It's 2017. Yeah. So you had time to watch it. It was on uh, also, HBO. The book Go. has been out for a while. For a minute. So, all right. A hot sec. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah. Anyway, go Patreon website. Do it. It. Do it. Do it. We're funny. We're funny. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.